on episode 14 of Real 90, we'll be discussing, uh-oh, where is it? Oh, the 1996 film, The Long Kiss Goodnight. <laughs> Wait, you couldn't remember what it was? The 1996 cartoon, the 1996 slideshow. So why don't we just jump right into it and uh, who picked this, Eric? No, Ricky. I picked All right, this. Rick. Um, I, in 1996, Long Kiss Goodnight, produced uh, by New Line Cinema, directed by Rennie Harlan, starring his then-wife at the time, Gina Davis, Samuel L. Jackson, Craig Barrico, and Brian Cox, and David Morse. Um, this action thriller has the story very reminiscent of the Bourne series. Yes. Um, the Bourne series were actually books, then a TV movie, and then the mostly wild, widely known uh, Matt Damon movies. Now it has been taken over by the guy who plays Hawkeye, and I can't remember the name off the top of his head. Our uh, main heroine has had amnesia for eight years and does not remember her past life. All that she remembers is her name is Samantha Kane, and that she woke up on a beach pregnant, not remembering who she was or how she grew up, anything at all. And slowly as the movie begins, she starts remembering different things about her past and abilities that she has, thus falling into the realization that she used to be an ex-black ops assassin. Dun, dun, dun. The long kiss goodnight. Yeah, dum, dum, dum. Rennie Harlan, who's directed other action, um, I guess I'll use the word classics, because they're known. Um, <laughs> die Classics. <laughs> classics. Die Hard 2, um, which some fans do not care for, and he has directed Cliffhanger, and one of my favorites of his is A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which was one of his first big uh, time production movies, also yes. produced by New Line Cinema. Long Kiss Goodnight. All right. Yep. Even though this is a two-hour movie, uh, and it seems like it, just looking at that, then it might have drug on a little bit but i really and it was a really good movie uh i was even though it i never i couldn't get i didn't have the time to watch it in one sitting being that it is two hours so i just finished it recently being uh like 15 minutes before this podcast started um so <laughs> that's why you need so to start still, 15 minutes later still pretty fresh in my head um but i thought the like the writing was really good uh the pacing of the film i thought was really good um it is a story that's kind of been told over and over but uh, the the i just love the dialogue i thought gina davis and samuel L. jackson were a good pairing for this gina davis is a credit that i a credit that i neglected to mention uh, and i meant to was the writing credit goes to something you've just touched on uh to shane black who is known for writing lethal weapon one lethal weapon two kiss kiss bang bang and wrote and directed uh iron man three and probably one of the only movies that i don't like of his that he wrote is the last boy scout um i agree the dialogue is very reminiscent of all those yeah, other movies they're just and like those other movies quick short he they have he, of, everybody has like a button on everything they say they like samuel and gina just their chemistry together and just how he wrote those two characters together worked really well like they they're they're funny they he does ins- a great job at, the, at the buddy cop yeah they yeah it's that it's that atmosphere. The uh, the only thing I, I did some research on this, and I, I do have to claim that as Nick mentioned, this movie's two hours long. I actually thought after viewing it that it was maybe two and a half. Surprised that it was only two because I feel like the movie could have used about a thirty to forty minute trim 
were at drug-in places. Um, but I also researched and found out that Shane Black claims that a lot of script doctors came in on this movie mm. and <clears throat> what you see is not his finished script. There's a lot of tagged-on lines that were not his initially penned. And I, I can I can feel that more towards the middle and the end than I can the beginning. So I wonder if that's where they're mainly located. Hmm. For example, um, the the one that really just watching it, I was like, oh my God, geez, let's just get on with this. Especially because it's towards the end of the movie is when her daughter is beating her and trying yes. to pep talk her back to life. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much right at the very end. Um, but yeah, I agree. I, that, like, I, she did the... the whatever the the kid the actress she did a i thought a really good yeah. job but yeah it just i felt the whole ending of the film kind of deflated like it just you had all this build up build up secret agent build up build up build up and then it just kind of went fell flat right at the end like they just kind of ran out of time and money the moment for me that it definitely i, I felt where it's like okay we got this let's keep on going let's get to the end is once she finally decides to, um, it's during the music montage, She's Not There, the uh, 60s song, where she finally embraces that she is Charlie and dyes her hair and all of that. By that time, I was like, you could do this real quick. We get, like, we had enough peppering in the other part of the movie, the beginning, of who she is. Right. I think the other thing that kind of... Like towards the end, that didn't help. Was that they're they're between Charlie or or uh, Samantha or whatever her name is going to be, but Charlie and uh, Samuel Jackson's character, uh, the whole love interest thing. I didn't I didn't really care yes. for them falling in love. I I would have liked it even more if it was more of like Samuel Davis or Samuel Davis Samuel Jackson's uh, character played um, just. Like any guy would, trying to get the girl, and Gina Davis would play hard to get, but she just kind of went for him. As soon as she realized that she was Charlie in that hotel, hotel room where she came on to him, I just thought that was kind of fun. Well, come the end of the movie, well, when he said that line, he's like, you're only doing this because you want to forget him, the man that she had been dating and been taking care of her daughter while she's been gone. Um, I, I got that, and I was fine with that. But then they kind of kept on peppering in this weird flirtation sexuality between the two that didn't really feel right. And then as I was watching, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to end up together at the end? This is kind of weird yeah. and forced. But then what was even worse was we cut back to her with that weenie of a guy she had been dating earlier. Right. And I guess we're led, me, to, led to believe that um, Samuel or Mitch which is Samuel uh, Jackson's character dies. Cause the last thing no, you see no, is that he's on, he's on Larry. I can't drive anymore. And she's like, well, look at the key. Remember we're rich. And then it transitions to her driving in the convertible on the. Right. But then we see, we see him on Larry King. Oh, that's true. So, so um, that's, that's another research thing that I found out was uh, Rennie Harlan originally had the ending being that Mitch Hennessy, Samuel Jackson's character, uh, great name, black guy, Hennessy, but was that he originally died from his wounds in the car scene and someone yelled in the test screening, yo, 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 you can't let Samuel die. So he went back and filmed a scene of him at Larry King, which you can tell didn't really matter. No. And it was weird. Yeah. Hunter he should have just died. Yes. What did you think of this movie? Hunter? 
being a fan. You're a fan of Shane Black, aren't you? Screenwriting? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, it, it's he has an interesting style that, like, maybe not as much as, like, you know, Robert Rodriguez or uh, Quentin Tarantino, but you can kind of pinpoint that it's a movie of his just mm-hmm. by certain characteristics in the film. Uh, speaking more onto the script, though, like, it... There were many parts in the movie when I was sitting there watching it, and I felt like, why would they say that? Like, why would they use this line? Like, the scene, and like to me, it felt like it was very up and down. You know, like, I don't know, like it, it kind of stuck out like a sore thumb to me, like some of the dialogue, because like they were ch- they were talking, they were talking, it was all serious, and then some, like one of the characters would, I mean, would say something to me anyway that felt out of character for whatever reason. And I kept thinking like, well, maybe it was just something that the writer wanted to do because it tied back to something else he did like in previous work. But I didn't know about the script doctor, um, aspects of it. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I'd like to Um, know though, because some of the lines that I really liked, uh, as you said, you can kind of pinpoint as Shane Black's script felt very Shane Black at the beginning. Um, one of them, which is my, is my favorite scene. And, has my favorite line is when Samuel L. Jackson comes into that hotel room running the sting with the hobos and the hooker. Like that felt like a Shane Black scene, those lines that Samuel said. But then there were tagged on lines, um, and one was repeated, so it was kind of like I think the script doctor found it in an earlier scene and was like, Oh, I'll do the callback which was when she's cutting the carrots and stuff and she throws the knife and she says, Chefs do that after declaring maybe she was a chef. Well, then later on, once the intruder with the one eye breaks into her home and she breaks his neck and her husband sees it and she says, chefs do that. I was like, okay, it worked the first time. It does not work this time. We should have just had that awesome shot of Gina Davis crazy-eyed glaring at her weenie weenie of a boyfriend. Right, because she comes back to the realization, like, this isn't me. Like, Like, she almost blacked out again. That would I agree that that yeah. line did it, yeah it felt all out of place, and I think that was my first um, my first line that I kind of cringed, and I even said I was like we did not need that line, and I feel like there are some more of those peppered throughout the script like you mentioned Hunter that didn't feel right, but I, I would really like to know which ones were Shane Blacks and <clears throat> which ones weren't because it's kind of hard to put all the blame on Shane Black's script if numerous other people came in and tinkered with it. Yeah, like, I don't I don't know, because, like, there's a, another bit that kind of feels like, um, like, when they kidnap her and they got her on the... Uh, the wheel. I don't know, the, the, the uh, big wooden The green wheel, wheel yeah. or whatever. Like, that, f- that kind of felt like, like the end of the movie to me. You know, like, it had the very epic... Um, you know, ending to a plot line kind of scene. And I'm like, is this movie ending already? Cause I felt like they blew their load too early. Cause I'm like, okay, where are you going to go from here? Well, because like, yeah, they, we did, get it. they did the reveal of the farm guy being Daedalus, who was as we, as far as we knew was the main bad guy. Right. And then it wasn't. And I, as you like, like you, I, I was very confused because, I felt like the big reveal of him being the bad guy, not her, really her past fiance. I was like, Oh, this is it. She's going to have to kill everyone on the farm and he'll be the last guy. Right. Kind of deal. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, this was around like the halfway point of the film, so I thought that I didn't, I didn't feel like they kind of blew their load. It was just that was to me just the movie getting started. Now she finally realized who she was or who she is. She turned back into that person, into Charlie. She kills the guy, and then now the movie really starts taking off. She's no no longer this teacher, really nice girl. Now she's this badass woman that's a secret agent. So the movie kind of. St- I agree. We have to see. We have to see her make that transition now to be able to do all the things, except for just glimpses. But with having that character get killed, then the David Morse character, um, Daedalus, I wasn't. The other guy, uh, Craig Barrico, Timothy, who's the, and we ended up finding out is the father of her child. I didn't think he was the main bad guy, and I also didn't care that the twist was that Leland Perkins, who was in charge of Chapter, was, the Black Ops, right, group, was a, was crooked. Right. Like I didn't. But care. I mean, they talked about you knew that that wasn't the main. That was it for the film. That wasn't the main guy because they were talking about honeymoon the whole time. Right. So. Right. Well, Project Honeymoon. Project Honeymoon. We yes. didn't know who was right. involved yeah, yeah, yeah. in it. Yeah. That just to, to tag on another scene that felt awkward was it. It was another one that felt just the same as the other ones we've mentioned. Was the president calling her at the end? Yeah, that was goofy. Like again, like the that whole. Well, it was pretty much right from that transition to the convertible. I thought that whole back half of the film, to me, that almost seems like that was all doctored. Like uh, Shane Black had the ending already, and they were like, "Nah, let's do this and make it this nice happy ending at the very end of the film, wherever well, where I, everybody I would, lives and everybody's know. happy and they have what they want." She lives on a farm with a white picket fence, with his with, of a guy with her husband daughter. that doesn't seem to care that she killed several people and about anything right yeah like he's just like oh yeah i have my wife back but she's not who i who she I would was. be sleeping every if i if i was that guy right. i'd be sleeping every night with one eye open and a gun under because you know pillow. that she took part in all that it's not like they covered that up like he knows and all about that that's just bad storytelling to me right that's why i think the back end that the last 10 15 minutes of this was not had nothing to do with shane black um, the CGI looked real bad on the oh, explosion yes. on the bridge too. You felt, yeah, I felt yeah when they were driving in the car, they could have cut that whole scene. I don't even think they need him in the car, and especially the no. little girl like be like, "Don't hit the cars." Well, no shit. We we got it. We know the we know the bridge is. Well, I saw up. that we and I was like, "Drive faster than the flames." Yeah, the budget must have ran out right there because they were like, "All right, we can't really do any fire and you guys driving around it." So <laughs> come sit in front of this green screen and we'll shake the car. And you just act Extreme, like ball, right. like balls of fire falling down. Yeah, yeah, that looked well. The uh, when they said when Craig Birico and um, Perkins are explaining what they're going to be doing about killing the, they say the first bombing of the World Trade Center, which happened in '92, and they say they're going to use that and kill four thousand people, and you have to really do it and blame it on the Muslims. I was like, holy shit. They nailed that on the head. Nineteen ninety six. Like, did that? Nice. Did that weird you guys out at all? Eh. Uh, yes and no, but I mean, it that shit's been going on for a long time, man. Not just nine eleven. It just felt like something that was like, man, you called that. 
Just what I mean. <laughs> yeah, blame it on the Muslims or whatever. If they'd have just said that or blame it on a terrorist group, that'd have been fine. But the fact that they recalled the bombing of the World Trade Center in 92, then a terrorist group killed 4,000 people, um, which is, I think, if you look it up, is similar to the amount of people that died in 9-11. I think it was maybe like 2,000. Um, and that they're blaming it on the Muslims. I was like, holy shit. Right. Again, wonder if that was Shane Black or a script doctor trying to make it more interesting. Yeah, because it might have been, you know, more um, current, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How'd you guys feel about? Uh, so, but, how yeah. do you feel about Gina Davis being an uh, action star? I I think um, I may be alone in this. I think Gina Davis is incredibly sexy. No yeah, when what. I saw that, oh no, absolutely. I, well, going into this, and I because I've never heard of this film at all, and so when I looked at it, and Gina Davis was in it, and you could kind of tell it was kind of going to be like an action film. I was a little skeptical about her actually pulling through and performing well, and I thought she did a really good job. It looked like she had mm-hmm. like she probably had she, a, can't, she can't do a voiceover to save her life. <laughs> that voiceover in the beginning is fucking terrible. Yeah. Are you talking about when she like has that weird dream? Is it because of her? No, he's talking about the voiceover where he, where he, she's basically giving the exposition of her character. Oh, I got yeah, which yeah, yeah. one the the dialogue though is completely unnecessary. Because you right. get who she is within that first ten minutes without that voiceover. They they talk about it enough amongst the characters. Right. I think this it sucks. Gina Davis didn't do a good job doing it, but I think the dialogue sucked, and I guarantee you that was a last minute effort because someone in a focus group was like, said I don't that get they it. Confused. Who is she? Yeah. 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 But I thought she did a I thought she did a good job being an uh an action uh and all that no I th- yeah absolutely like i think there there was probably just a couple of spots where um i don't know i never felt like she got she stepped out of character or she wasn't sure how she was supposed to act a portion of the script but then again that might come down to just the way that the script was written because it seemed like it was so up and down at least to me anyway that you know you would have those issues with the actor of like well how am i supposed to feel in this scene because you know three seconds ago i was ready to you know cut everybody's balls yeah, that's, off that's where you want me to talk about having puppies yeah. and we should get a puppy and because that's why i thought she did a really good job is having to play like a complete 180 character like she had to be super nice family and then a hard ass kicking you know killing everybody she sees so i thought she did a good job right. at being able to pull from both worlds and which one would you guys rather hook up with the charlie with the short blonde hair and the leather or Samantha, the school teacher. See, I think it's like which version of Charlie? Huh? It's like the FMK kind Charlie. of thing. Like you, who, who fuck me or kill? You would marry the Samantha girl, but you would just want to fuck the Charlie. Oh, I, I would rather hook up with the Samantha girl. I think she is ridiculously sexy with the long hair. I thought I, um, I could go for the blonde. The blonde. I didn't hair. like like the wet, yeah. slick back look with the blonde hair, but I liked when it, you know. Yeah, I liked it once it was dry. I agree, but I still picked the long hair. She's got a classic beauty and. It's, I think I thought she was great in an action movie. I know this was the second movie directed by her then-husband, Rennie Harlan. They also did... Um, he did two flops in a row. Before this, he did with Gina Davis was Cutthroat Island, which was a pirate movie. <clears throat> and both of these movies cost, like, super high budgets, like $80 million, and this was $65 million, And they barely made back their, their budget. Hmm. And then also... So we have the re- the return a little, I think it's two years later, David Morse, who played Daedalus, 
when you guys saw him, did you go, oh, that's the guy from 12 Monkeys. He's going to play a bigger part. Uh, well, I, I don't know no. if I was relating him <laughs> right to 12 Monkeys. I was probably relating to, to movies I've, I've seen quite recently with him in it. Yeah, the only yeah, reason like I, when I, I said that was because when you guys, when we watched 12 Monkeys and we reviewed it. Right. When you guys saw him, you guys said, oh, I know he's going to be a bigger part. Right, but he wasn't showing. big back then, so. Right. right. But, uh, no, when I saw, um, I guess it's, uh, he played Thomas, I think, like the main bad guy. Um, Timothy. I was like, Timothy? I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's that crazy dude from the Cinderella movie with <laughs> he's the crazy Max Bear, the boxer. Yes, yeah, from Cinderella. Like, man, yeah. that guy's got, yeah, that guy's got crazy eyes that go on for days, man. <laughs> he, he just looks like a lunatic. He's in God. He's all over television. I know he was on like Sex in the City. He was on Boston Legal. Um, I, I always feel like I've seen him more than I actually have in movies. But yeah, I think he's got a great crazy look. Yeah. So, did everybody expect like when Samuel Jackson came? You first saw him on screen. Everybody expect him to be the saucy black guy yep. again. He, yep. he was playing a <laughs> signature Samuel Jackson character, which I can't say I was. I was happy that there was parts of the movie where he was a sniveling little bitch, and I was like, "That's good." Get that. Oh, when she like, that's, that's uh, yeah, I really I like like when she almost shot him in the face for the first time. And he just like yeah. tuck tailed and run like he was a big tough guy before, and then he's like, "Bullshit! I'm not doing it. Here's your damn money back." <laughs> <laughs> well, that was great, yeah, and so. also when they were jumping out of the train station, and then they went into the ice, and she was super badass. And then she finally comes to as they're running that, up the steps. Yeah, that was a good She's one. like, what, hap- what happened? And he's like, I just saved you. Let's go. You saved your ass. It was amazing. Let's right. go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole train station scene was Yeah, that was, was definitely Sean Black Ridiculous. Yeah, the train station scene was awesome. The Craig uh, Barrico is Timothy coming up to her, testing her, and then saying she doesn't. Re-. He's like, you don't know me, do you? Like, that was all great, but I agree with Hunter, is this movie had tons of up and downs where I feel like it hurt the pacing and it hurt what kind of movie it wanted to be. Did it want to spend time on dumb action scenes, or did it want to have a really good relationship with its characters? Hmm. Right. I guess I really didn't see the whole up and down. Like, I didn't really feel until the very end of this that the movie kind of was flat. I thought the whole movie kind of built yeah, up the whole entire time until the end, and then they really let me down at the end. It was just kind of over and done with. Yeah, the, it's it's definitely a, a down a downward slope because I mean I mean just two scenes that come to mind at the very beginning of the well, sort of at the beginning of the movie. So the them hitting the deer like that was hyper realistic, yeah. mm-hmm. like scary realistic, you know. Um, and the other one, when uh, the one eyed dude comes in and tries to, to to kill her, and she takes that pie and cracks him right in the head with it, and there's like blood and shit. Like the first thing I thought was, see, that's what happens when you hit somebody <laughs> with a pie. Like somebody <laughs> finally got it right. Like you break people's faces doing shit like that. Well, at like, first was I was like, hyper realistic. And I was, I was like, like, man, this is really oh, cool. It was in a glass container because I heard it break. Like I was like, nope, that's bullcrap. There's no right. way, <laughs> like a chocolate mousse pie, will break somebody's face. You've been lied your whole life, brother. Well, and it was great, too, because when the guy whose shotgun, I guess, turns into a weird kind of rocket launcher, shoots a hole in the side of their house, and she instinctively snaps into Charlie just for a minute, (laughs) showing us the depths of who she can be, throws her child through the hole into the treehouse. I was like, that is fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was neat how they they wrote all that. Suddenly she's 
learning these skills that she's had all the time. She's rediscovering them. Yeah, halfway through this movie, it really starts to go down um, on all fronts. Like e- even like the cin- uh, cinematography seems to be lacking, along with dialogue and just the way that the characters are behaving. Like it really starts a downward slope. Toward I think two big prime prime uh, moments of when it starts going down is once they kill off Brian Cox's character, Doctor Nathan Waldman. Um, because he's a, he's a good actor and he gives a lot of credibility to the film and it, the scenes he's in. And then also when she fully makes the transition into Charlie in the hotel room, I think that's when I started beginning going, okay, we need to get closer to the end. Right. Well, that was only the halfway point. I, agree. I mean, what do you guys think? I think uh, about 30 minutes would probably do this movie good. Uh, an hour and 30 minute long movie. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's... It... I don't know. Like, I think if you just take small cuts here and there, you move certain scenes around. Um, I think it, I don't know. Like I about, yeah, probably about 35, maybe 45 minutes could easily be cut from this yeah. movie and it would definitely pick the pace up and it would make the characters consistent and the writing consistent. Right. And, I mean, I think well, we're a all big, a big problem too. A big problem too is with this movie is the last half, which we all in agreement feel like it's, it's too long it starts to drag is they introduce about three new plot points too to the end of the movie as we already mentioned with the whole mega scheme of the honeymoon and what that is they spend too much time explaining it and it's like that's not what this movie's about who cares and i still really didn't fully understand it so they were going to blow up the border bridge between canada and the u.s and blame an arab for money so he can get funding to his department from the government like that's such the dumbest thing. That's the dumbest way. So the to government do it. was like, pretty much just saying you're better off. They were like, going to blow that up, and then the government was going to be like, "Well, if you gave us more funding, we would have been able to stop it." And then that was their that was right. their big scheme. Exactly. Yeah, it was a scare tactic. Yeah. <laughs> and what you do is you cut a lot of that explanation. They've got a bomb on a truck. They're going to kill. That's all some you need people. to know. That's all you need to know. You kill you kill two birds with one stone because what you can also do, even though GD sprawling um, character actor who's in Godfather Two plays the president in this. Um, you can cut both of his scenes and yeah. you're fine. You don't miss. Yeah. Them. You don't. I, yeah, I agree. And you like, you don't need to go all the way up. To, like when I saw that first shot of the white house, I was like, are you serious? We're going all the way up to the white house with this crap. Uh, <laughs> I was like, what all does the this way have up to, to the do? White then, house, man. Yeah, the whole, yeah, I agree. The whole upper government president could have been cut. It could have just been a CIA NSA. But like, but man, you got to think there were so many movies that involved the president around uh, mid to late nineties. Right. I'm not even kidding. There was. It's like um, Hollywood was granted that, access to the White House to shoot at, and they were like, "Hell yeah, start writing scripts, everybody. We're allowed to go in the White House." Or something. Yeah, really. Day, the American president, uh, murder at 1600, absolute power, and there's at least four more that I'm not thinking. Patriot of. Games? The first kid, like Patriot. Oh my god. Well, the, the, all of those movies, but yeah. then what's the one where he actually played the president? Right. Air Force right. One. Yeah. You had so many movies involving the president. The 90s were very like, patriotic. Yeah, it's like, well, I don't <laughs> is it is it because Clint is it because Clinton made the president like James Bond? Did he make it sexy? Well, I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't. When did that when did the West Wing start? 1999, so right at the end of the 90s. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I don't, don't know. know. If, I don't know if it's because Clinton made screenwriters go, "Oh, I can write a movie about the presidency and make it cool." 
There had to be. Yeah, something I'd be curious because... to just do a comparison between like the eighties, nineties, and like the two thousands, just to see like to see wh- what, what the, the arc big. was. If it it really did peak in the nineties, that there were all of a sudden there were these like white White well, House I, scenes I and, to... and things like that. Mid to, mid to late 80s, definitely like 80 through 89, a lot of action movies were drug dealers, Colombian cartels, um, cocaine. I feel like those were like the Lethal Weapon. Um, you know, Die Hard was a little different, but I, I feel like that's what the emphasis was. And then this was terrorist and going after the American way of life. Right. Oh, we also had In the Line of Fire, which is another Clint Eastwood that I forgot that deals with the White House. Hmm. So, favorite lines? Uh, Mine was uh, when they were going into the the train station. uh, So, it's the dialogue between the two. And it was just... And this happened throughout the film a lot. Just these, these quick little insults back and forth. But she... He's doing his little, like, singing, putting... Uh, I forget what he puts in his his right pocket. But he puts the... Dun, 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 yeah, dun. He, I like, put my keys in my yeah, pocket. Yeah, keys in the pocket. And then, dun, 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 putting the gun in my right. And then she's like, why are you putting it in your right pocket? You can see a ball. She's like, you want me to put it in my pants? Shoot my dick off? She's like, oh, you're a sharpshooter now, huh? <laughs> Just the banter between the two. Nice. Again, I thought it was... Good writing you know between the two up, characters, though, huh? Is they show they show a close up shot on one of the villains later putting the gun in his pants near his dick, and I thought, okay, this is going to be a callback to later, and the guy's going to actually shoot himself. Yeah, when she, are you talking about where um when she's on like the water wheel, and you see him like yes. put it? I, yes. I I agree because they did that a lot, and I was going to bring that up. I thought the editing was really well in this movie. Or just the screenplay, I guess, in general, the like stage direction and all that. But because they did a lot of the let, let the audience, like if you notice when they were going into the into the train station, the camera did a cutaway and it showed a sign that said "thin ice." And then later on, well, they, they sh- jump out of the window yes, and it, they it and off. they shoot the ice down. Like you, it's almost yes. like they, they weren't doing it to where it was like annoying, and they were like, "Let's hold the audience's hand through all this, and we're going to show you everything." I didn't think they were doing that. I just thought they did a really well job, like, where he did the singing, and I'm putting the gun in my left pocket, and you knew immediately, well, that's going to come into play. Why would he say it? And then, of course, she reached into his pocket and shot him. So, And I feel like they paid off in some of those. Yeah. And then, like we said, didn't pay off in others. And I feel like Quentin Tarantino does that a lot nowadays, where he lingers and throws the audience to think one way or another. In this movie, I felt like it was uneven. Oh really? I I just there was right, and again, I might come back to that script. Yeah, because uh, I thought they did doctors. a really good. Like, I didn't think any of them were wasted. Just the one you brought up, I thought was, and that, like Eric said, it probably was either written out or they'd shot at everything and they yeah, just I, cut it at the end since this movie was already two hours. Long. I would have to right. go. Th- I would have to go through the movie and see if there were any more examples. But that is the only one I can think of the top. Like of the my other head. one was. And it took me. She she put the matches. The she put the matches in her uh, kids' cast for the whole lighting of the candle in the window, yes. and then she couldn't make yeah. a spark. So she was like, "Mommy, I have matches." And so that was another one. Um, but there, yeah, there were a few more. Um, Hunter, what was your favorite line in the movie? Okay, so I got a, I got a couple oh, of them. Um, so the, I'm sorry. So the first one was actually at the very beginning. Um, when I got the the copy of the movie that I got was apparently dubbed with 
um, some sort of foreign guy talking. You got the over Russian it. one, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I did. I saw that one. And I didn't get it, though. it like I was just I, I was I died laughing watching or uh, listening to him like announce all the actors <laughs> and their names and stuff because like he 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 always had something to say right before that said the, so it would be like Murastakia Gina Davis. <laughs> like, Wait, what? Um, so that was funny. So was that um, your favorite line? There's oh. no, no, no. Um, th- so uh, it's between two. So one of them happens when they get to the farm. And we still think that he's probably the bad guy, whatever his... I can't remember his name now. Um, and they're, like, talking. Yeah, and they're, like, talking in the corner. Gina Davis and Samuel Jackson are, like, talking in the corner. And, like, he comes out of nowhere into the shot and he says, Well, what is this? America's Funniest Practical Videos? <laughs> yeah. It's like they didn't have, the they didn't have like, that? the copyright to say America's Funniest Home Videos. So they had to go with it. They don't even say yeah. it. Like... Yeah, you know, come up with I'm a sure different fucking say, line. Yeah, America's funniest practical. Like I had to rewind it like three times because I was like, "Did he really just say practical videos?" See, like, it's funny. They're hilarious, but very practical. The, it's well, you know what? I don't. I don't know if they if they justified that dumbass line with this later. Was one of the facts that she knew about him was that he didn't own a television set, and that sounds like one of those dumb fucking things someone would say or like a parent would say, right? Like not knowing the real name of the show. Who doesn't show. know what it is? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point. Passing. But regardless, it was... regardless, it's a bad line that they tried to yeah, make. Well, see, so going bad. the other way, they were in the car, uh, Gina Davis, and uh, and she gets the call from um, uh, who's the main from the doctor from Hal? Is it right. Hal? Who's the uh, who's the like the that's her. or Greg Timothy? I think it was Timothy, the the main the main oh, yeah, villain yeah, yeah. or whatever. Anyway, he calls her and is like, "I have your daughter." And then he says, like, go to the Holiday Inn. And I thought that felt really out of place. Like, because normally in films, they don't even say a hotel name. They'll just be like, go to the Inn on State Route, blah, blah, blah. So going to the right, other spectrum, right. like America's practical videos was goofy. But then to me, when he was like a very specific, like, like go placement. to the Holiday Inn, it almost felt like they were just like. And, right. and drink up. Yeah, right. Like this product placement, the whole entire. <laughs> but uh, go ahead. Sorry. I don't know. It was weird. Um, and then the last one was towards the end, um, when Timothy was, you know, make sure you get her and make sure she doesn't get to the truck. And then the got the truck driver gets knocked out or whatever. And he radios <laughs> him and says, sir, she's got the truck and I think I'm dying. <laughs> um, and he's like, and I think I'm dying. And then, uh, Timothy says, continue dying out. And he like hangs up on the walkie talkie. Yeah. That was good. That very much felt like a um, the phone call in Scream, where Matthew Lillard's like, "I think I'm dying, man!" Like over the yeah. phone. Was, uh, yeah, I, I definitely laughed at that. Um, yeah. My favorite, as I discussed earlier, the favorite, probably my favorite scenes in general. And yeah, it's a rip off because you know when you have samuel l jackson doing a monologue where he's cursing a bunch you can't do it any better than his speech in pulp fiction but the opening scene where they go into the hotel room and he's talking to the guy and he says about fucking him in the ass he's like you like you like fucking in the ass are you an ass fucking fan (laughs) like i was losing it i was like this is the this is the dream dialogue like if you get samuel l jackson in your mind yeah i think he's the only one that can deliver that style and so I wonder, I'm wondering if they had him already picked out. Right. Yeah. Because it's almost like as probably, if like yeah. Shane Black wrote for him. 
for that style of dialogue. Or yes. they wrote it, and then he was like, well, this is how Sam Yeo would say it, because he speaks in third person. <laughs> this is how he'd do it. This is how you'd do All right, so now we get up into the does this movie hold up for you stage. Uh, I'll go. Uh, yes, I, this movie yeah. does hold up. Uh, I I think we were all in a creance towards the end. It started uh, uh, dying down quite a bit. Um, but I think, really, to me, it was only the last 20 minutes or 30 minutes, which we've kind of agreed that could have been cut. 30 minutes could have been taken out of this film. But I think it was the last half, the transition to her in the convertible driving, and then everybody has a happy life. I think they almost kind of wrote themselves in a corner, um, whether it was Shane Black or all the script doctors, because they kind of gave her this alternate identity at the beginning. And then she went on to this like badass killing spree, and then they were like, crap, we can't just forget about her family. How are we going to tie them back in? She can't just go and marry or go hang out with uh, Mitch and have that style life. But it still doesn't It still doesn't feel right, though, that she just automatically goes back to her boyfriend. Right, I agree. And that's why I think daughter, like, they I wrote themselves the on a corner and they just didn't have the time to come up with a creative way to bring her family back in. So they were just like, all right, well, transition... And some time has passed, and now she, they have a house, and they live on a farm, and her husband doesn't give two shits right. that she's a psychopath killer, secret agent. So, so other than that, I thought the 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 rest of the film, the beginning up until the last thirty minutes or whatever, I thought it was it was great, and I would watch it again. I thought I was going in going into it. I didn't think Gina Davis would do that great in an action role because I've never seen her in that role. I'm coming off of like a League of Their Own and and Beetlejuice and things like that. Um, so right. I mean, Samuel, of course, I knew he could he could play that that role. Um, the only role I don't think he can really play well is a kind of a serious dramatic style role because um, his whole acting in the car where he's like I can't drive anymore and he starts to tear up. I just thought that was it was uncomfortable to me to watch him try to act that way. I'm used to him, you know, Royale with cheese and motherfucker and all that, you know, um, pretty jovial. Right. But other than a few, few, uh, few of those things, uh, to me, the movie held up and I, uh, enjoyed it. I didn't really feel that it was dated all that too much. Um, there were some scenes, uh, uh, just the, the bad, effects really that to me felt like it was dated only because it was they were trying to use that technology in the 90s that just anytime they did green screen on a car just didn't work they just didn't have the technology like they do today but other than that right it was good i liked it no i'm with you like i feel the exact same way like i feel like um i mean it's, it's a I, I really enjoyed it um uh, the the writing for what it was was on par, definitely better. Gina Davis really blew yeah. me away. Um, seeing Samuel Jackson as a little bitch is always nice. <laughs> um, since you know, especially he walks around with a big swing and dick all the time now. Um, but I mean, I yeah, I mean, realistically, I think it was just uh, yeah, the tech, you know, with the pager and the funny looking cell phones and people calling and pay phones. It's like, you know, like. It, that kind of pulls you out of it just a little bit, but um, but the characters st- still seem very real for the most part. And so, yeah, this movie definitely h- held up for me. It feels like a 90s action movie to me, but that 
partly has to do with it's a nineties action movie. Um, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, it has a lot to do with Samuel L. Jackson. This he 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 does play a little bit. It's nice to see him play someone who isn't as tough as the lead. Um, but the the look it feels nineties to me. What's nice is that scripts have become a little wittier um, since the 90s. Uh, The 90s was the start of it, as Eric mentioned, with Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Um, If you find good action movies nowadays, it's usually because the dialogue is a little better. Um, Right. The special effects are a little better. And the special effects are a little better. And I think films like this were definitely the the spark to that. Um, Now, some of the differences nowadays the action movies are trying to be a little darker again. Like the Bourne movies, there's definitely not a lot of uh, tongue-in-cheek where this does. Uh, I I feel like, yeah, I don't feel like this is super dated, but some of the things that you mentioned as the special effects and some of the dialogue does date it a little bit, but not so much that it feels like it's a period piece. Right. Right. Um, I'll start off with the ratings. Um, after watching this, uh, I like... It's not my least favorite Shane Black movie. That goes to The Last Boy Scout, which is ridiculous. Um, this movie, though, because I did feel the length of it by the end of the movie, uh, I have to give it a 2.5. But I definitely enjoyed it, and I would watch it again. I will keep it in my collection. Uh, I'll give it a... Um, uh, I'll give it a 3. Um, I, it would get a four if it had a better ending. I think if if I think if I want, I will watch it again, but I'll probably just stop it right before the transition. Because I'm I'm to me now knowing the what the ending is, I'm happy with that ending, and I can just leave it to my imagination on what happens, and if right after they transition, she's like, "Oh, we're rich," and go to black credits. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'll give it a three. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 3 too. Um, I'm with you guys. Like, I think it was a pretty decent movie. Uh, if it was on TV, I would definitely watch it. Um, but I would definitely start tuning out towards the end just by the way of just how it's delivered. Um, but, again, you know, very surprised by Gina Davis and her character. I thought that was uh, done extremely well. So, yeah, I would I give it a 3. I think, Nick, that you probably watched it the best way of not watching it in one sitting because you definitely feel the length in one sitting breaking yeah. it up. I think helped you a lot. Yeah, and I should have watched it in one sitting. I just, I don't know. I always um, do that. Right. It's like two days before the show. I like, oh crap, and I start watching the movie because <laughs> I always have a plan to be like, I'm going to watch it uh, like a day or two after the podcast, the new movie, and then I'll watch it again, right? Like before to refresh, but it never happens. All right, so uh, all right, you want to do the pick, or does anybody have any uh, recommendations? Anybody see any good movies they'd like to throw out um, there? I would like to non-recommend a movie. Um, it's we got it uh, this past week and watched it. It was one of those uh, kind of roommate watching movies where it was my brother and my girlfriend Allie. We all kind of had to agree on something we all wanted to watch, um, which meant that none of us were really that enthusiastic was the uh that awkward moment with zach efron michael b jordan and it's if you've seen the trailers it's about these two guys who are 
um, bag and taggers of the female fee, uh, female scene where they will just hook up randomly with a bunch of girls but never really commit. One of their famous lines is when a girl says, so what does this mean you and I are? That's when you leave them and you dump them and you have other girls for booty calls. Until their friend Michael B. Jordan uh, who's a guy, an actor you guys will be seeing a lot of. He's set to play Johnny Storm in the new Fantastic Four movie. Uh, and if you're familiar with Friday Night Lights, he's on the last two seasons of that. He gets divorced and joins their kind of bro group. The movie very much feels like a child of The New Girl, kind of like a Fox comedy show, which I find super annoying and offensive to romantic comedies. And Zac Efron is a terrible fucking actor. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great-looking dude, but oh my god, do gay porn or something then. I do not want to see Whoa. you in mainstream movies anymore. Yeah, he's, he's bad. He's bad. He's bad. He's so bad. Um, watched a movie on Netflix called Gambit. Gambit? It's um, a Coen brother movie. Yeah, huh. Gambit. J-A-M-B-I-T. It's a remake. Is it? Yeah. Is it like the X-Men? I have no it? idea. Um. No, no. <laughs> I believe it's a remake of a, a Donald, a Jane Fonda movie. Jane Fonda movie from the 70s. Who knows? Yeah. No, um, I do. I, I know. No, you don't seem to. No, I do. Um, but anyway, so Gambit's about a, um, he's a art, a, uh, I don't even know what the, he basically like authenticates certain art pieces like paintings and stuff like that Colin Firth uh Firth Firth Firth, Firth whatever um, Colin Firth is the main guy and he goes to like, Texas uh to pick up um shit what's her name the uh, tall skinny skanky chick from there's something about Mary <laughs> Cameron Diaz Cameron Diaz there you go <laughs> um, wow and she plays uh, like teamwork. this huge redneck um, just you know, yeah, horse rider kind of chick, but she has the same last name as somebody from World War Two who uh, acquired a, a famous painting. And there's only two in existence, or something like that. So anyway, so he sets this whole thing up about trying to sell this this fake painting, this copy that she quote unquote supposedly has um, to um, man. I can't think of anybody's name today. Um, uh, the dude who played uh, Snape, <laughs> Alan, <laughs> Rickman, oh, uh, Alan, Alan Rickman. Alan yeah. yeah, Hans Gruber. Yeah, he's like this this That's douchey a good cast for this movie. Um, art collector minus Cameron Diaz. and um, Car- Col- uh, Colin Firth works under him, and uh, it's a it's a funny like if you like British comedy, it's it's got that very dry humor, mm-hmm. um, and then she's just the you know a total basket case, um, just terrible redneck american kind of person and uh it's it's pretty good though it's well written it's uh it's funny it's interesting um and it kind of for me anyway like i hadn't even heard of it i thought i was keeping up on the coen brothers for the most part but it's uh yeah gambit it's on netflix well let me correct myself the original is 1966 with michael Caine and shirley MacLaine, and this one with colin firth is a remake um not directed by the coen brothers though only written by, directed by Michael Hoffman. Hmm. Yeah. 
A uh, movie I just so uh, watched wrong. recently was uh, came out in 2010 year with uh, Luke Wilson, who stars. He plays like a college professor who's kind of um, he's really striving to get tenure at the college, but he hasn't had like a, a paper published in quite some time. And so this uh, Gretchen Mole, um, she comes in as a, a young uh, professor who's published all these papers. So everybody's really like uh, looking up to her and uh, trying to she's, uh, follow what she's doing. So he's kind of intimidated by her. So it's a comedy and it's just it's just they kind of go head to head and getting tenure. And uh, the comic relief kind of is uh, David Cochner. Is that it? Koshner? David Keckner. Keckner, yeah, he kind of plays this. Uh, I don't know if he's an archaeologist, but he has this. This he he's uh, really into trying to find track down Bigfoot. So he's always out in the <laughs> woods, or he'll, they'll be at a party, and he'll just like take off into the woods because he thinks he sees them. And what's funny is like during the whole movie, he never sees Bigfoot, but they'll do cuts. They'll do scenes of Luke Wilson riding in his car or in a cab or whatever. Like this takes place in like like uh, like around New England, so it's like back roads or whatever. And he always looks out the window and he'll see Bigfoot like walking in the woods and stuff. <laughs> so it's it's a fun movie. I mean, it's a good movie to watch with uh, like a date or whatever. Um, I mean, if you enjoy Luke Wilson, he's not the best actor in the is it on, in the world, but uh, he, he's is it on uh, Netflix? Uh, no, we we actually own this. We picked it up. It's like two dollars. Oh, okay. Picked it up in a bin. So hmm. it's good. It's good to check out. It's it's fun. It's fun to watch. But uh, yeah, yeah, I like Luke Wilson. I don't. Yeah, I mean, he's not. He's never like, like a lead lead role kind of actor, but he's never really been in any of those films. I mean, he's just kind of plays. Tenure two thousand. Tenure is two thousand eight. Oh, okay. I've seen the box yeah. for this, but yeah, you're yeah, right. It's this is a, a straight to DVD movie, yeah. but it's good though. It's decent yeah, cast. It's good ones that went straight to dvd so it's fun to watch um but uh so next week or this week or whatever is my pick so we are going with another joe pesci film it is the super from 1991 comedy have either of you heard this super uh i know of it i remember the box i don't think i've ever seen it it's funny i've I like never it. seen it it's called the it's called super? the super 1991 basically he just plays a a uh, a landlord uh in this building and i believe it his father it's kind of like his punishment or whatever because like he if i remember this right it's been a while but i th- i think he's like in line he wants to own the business but his father's like you haven't really done anything so i'm going to give you this crappy building in the slums to be the landlord and so he's just kind of biding his time in this building and uh like he doesn't want to fix anything or whatever, but eventually he becomes friends with all the tenants and they create a relationship. But uh, yeah, it's a. This is your second Joe Pesci pick. It is. Nick. Home Alone was my get first. One more. Oh, was that it? And you only get two. Only get two Pesci, two Joe Pesci films, right. two Pesci prints. Um, and also, just to clear up to any listeners, if you're confused by listening to this episode being episode 14, and you're saying, I know I haven't listened to episode 13 and I can't find it, that is because Eric Hunter's pick Quick Change, we recorded the episode and my program Audacity decided that it would be a cool thing if it just deleted all of our recording 
um, after we were done finishing the episode. So we've talked, and we do have plans on recording that episode again later, filling up that lucky number 13 episode. We'll just be like, so just for now, think of it as a lost we'll episode. It'll be like an elevator. We just won't have a 13. We don't have a 13. It'll be unique to this podcast. Like, there'll be no episode 13. People right, will try exactly. to, years down the exactly. road, people will be looking for the, the infamous lost episode. But I will say, episode, episode 13. without going into too much to what we discuss, because we will do it, we'll do it as a, a lost episode sometime, um, we were all in agreement that Quick Change is a movie that you should see if you have not seen it yet. It is a good Bill Murray movie. Yes. Agreed. Yes. I concur. He concurs. I concur. concurred. He concurs. Why didn't I concur? I should have concurred. concurred. All right, well, anybody else have anything to say? I've no. got nothing. Oh, I'll say oh, this. Um, I haven't seen Almost. it. Want to see it? Just when we think we're out, Dawn he pulls of, us back in. Dawn of Planet of the Apes came out last Friday, and I have heard nothing but good things. I really liked Rise of. And they are saying that Dawn of Planet of the Apes is on the equivalent of being the Empire Strikes Back of this series. Just saying. I can't. I can't. Yeah. I haven't even. I, I think I've seen awesome. the other ones. There's so many of them. I don't know which ones to watch. Yeah. It seems like a Planet of the Apes them. film comes out every single year. And I don't know if it's yeah, a you reboot you or. You don't have to see. The reboot began with Rise of Planet of the okay. Apes. See, why can't they just be like every other film and just put because, a number at the end of everything? Because right. they, have, they have done marketing where people are less likely to go see a movie if, if it has a higher sequel in it. And also, it's not a sequel. It's a reimagining. You know, um, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes and I think 99 or 2000 or 2001 was the first reboot but that didn't really do what 20th Century Fox wanted it to do. So this so is a reboot of a reboot? Many years past. It's, it's a new imagining of the series. A and reboot. It's, watch, watch Rise of Planet of the Apes. Um, it's amazing. The CGI is amazing. The movie will make you cry. John Lithgow's in it. James Franco. Andy Serkis, who is Gollum, plays Caesar, the main, um, the main ape. I feel so sorry Brian for Cox. him. He's never going to have a role ever again Bra- where he's like in the flesh. But the, ever. the the thing is, though, after Rise of came out, it was a little kind of a slap in the face. They talked about that he should have been nominated for best supporting character, but there was a lot That's of a slippery slope there because uh, it's of, like whoa, it's a slippery I mean, slope. He just right. was, yes, he, he did. He, yeah, it was him as he's the motion the, suit on the on the screen, and yeah, it was motion you know captured of his face and it's his voice but again it was him plugged into a computer and the computer did all the you know all that so they should just watch it with their eyes closed and then there you go. <laughs> all right that's, that's it. it next time we have the super yeah joe pesci mm. i'm ricky glor prince and i'm go eric watch Hunter. a movie peace Go watch a movie, watch huh? Watch a movie. Hey, yo, yo, go watch a movie. Prick. Give me those meatballs, Polly. <laughs> They're so good.